Thank you, John. And it's uh, good to be back here at Paul Paul Bible Church. Had a beautiful drive from central Illinois this morning. Um, these days when I go out to preach, sometimes I don't know what kind of road conditions I'm going to get into in the winter, but this winter's been good. I've been all over the place and haven't uh, uh, been on the snowy roads, so that's, that's good. I looked at my calendar when I got here. I think the last time I was here was two years ago next month. Uh, March of 2021, that is two years. I was an English major, not a math major, but I think that's two years, um, 2021. And uh, I've been here quite often uh, when, uh, after Pastor Jonathan um, uh, uh, left and uh, before Pastor Jed came. So I uh, recognize some of you, and it's good to see some, some new folks here as well. Well, uh, turn in your Bible or your Bible app um, to Luke 14, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible app on, on your phone, uh, then you have a pew Bible, I see, and, and uh, that uh, Luke 14 and that pew Bible is on page 739. So I always like to just have people um, in their Bibles just to check out to be sure what I'm saying comes from Scripture, so that's a good thing. Um, we're going to be looking at, at a parable that begins in verse 16 of Luke 14, but uh, we're going to go before that parable and just do some background work. But in your Bibles, uh, you probably see a, a subheading over the chapter Luke 14. It might say the parable of the great banquet, or it might say the parable of the great feast, or perhaps it says the parable of the great supper, um, all appropriate titles for, for that parable. Um, but these subheadings, as most of you know, however, are not inspired parts of Scripture. Um, they were added later on to uh, the various sections of the Bible, and uh, just so we kind of know what was coming. So uh, I, I don't, I don't like to change inspired Scripture, but I'm going to change the uninspired subheading today. Whether it happens to be the great banquet, the great feast, the great supper, and and I, I want to call it the parable of the great invitation. The parable of the great invitation, which we hopefully will know uh, why I'm doing that as we work through the text. However, before we go on, I, I have to step aside and tell you a story that really isn't related to the parable, but it's related to this sermon. Last year, I preached this sermon for the first time. I, I, you know, I don't preach the same sermon every time I go to a church because I couldn't do that here. I've been here too often. So uh, it was kind of a new sermon that, that I developed. And so last year I went to this church, preached this sermon and about the great invitation to this great banquet. And uh, they, they said, oh, by the way, we're, we're having a, a meal after church. And I said, well, how appropriate to talk about the banquet. And I appreciate the great invitation. So I will be happy to stay for that meal. Some months later, I went to another church where I hadn't preached the sermon yet. And... Uh, I get there, I'm sitting there, and they're making announcements, and they're saying, oh, by the way, we're having a surprise birthday party for somebody in the church, and we're going to do it, we're going to have a lunch after the meal. Uh, won't you stay? <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> that happened twice. Um, that I, they gave me an invitation when I was going to preach about the great invitation, the great banquet, so I stayed. About four weeks ago, I got a text in the morning, woke me up at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, my notification went ding, and it was from a pastor an hour from home, from where I live in Morton, Illinois, and he said, I just woke up and I am sicker than the dog. Can you come and preach this morning? 
And so I texted back, I said yes, and I, I keep a spreadsheet of what I preach because I've been at this church many, 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 many times. And I thought, you know, that church loves to eat. I've been at their, their uh, potlucks before, so I'm going to preach the great invitation. An hour and a half later, I get a text from one of the ladies in the church saying, by the way, we're having a meal after the service. Uh, would you like to stay? So I told them this story. That was the third time I said, I'm going to preach this sermon everywhere I go. I get here this morning, and Linda says, we're having a meal after the service. That's the fourth time that I preach this sermon, and I get to the church and find out you're having a meal. I'm going to preach this all the time. Even though I preach, if I ever come back, I'm going to preach the same one. See, because there's nothing better than potluck carrying meals at a church. I've been to a lot of them here at this, well, a lot. I've been to a number of them here at Paul Paul Bible. You folks put on a good meal. So I texted my wife and said, won't be home for lunch. Of course, it's, it's about an hour and 45-minute drive, and I was just going to, you know, uh, eat some crackers I have in the car and then eat lunch with her. She's, and I told her, I said, you won't believe this. They're having a meal. She said, so I guess you're staying. I said, I guess I am, because I'm going to be telling you in this parable about some people that made ridiculous excuses for not staying for a meal. And so I certainly can't make it, I can't make up any excuse that would sound good enough. So anyhow, that's the story within the story. Can we get back to the text now? Uh, but like I said, I'm going to preach this again the next time I go somewhere. We'll, we'll see if this holds up. It's, it's, it's really kind of uncanny, isn't it? Well, but before we get into the parable itself in verse 16, let's look at what leads up to this parable. Uh, in verse 1 of this chapter, we, we see that Jesus went to eat at the home of a leading Pharisee. He was invited to a meal in the home of a leading Pharisee, law keepers, proud of being law keepers. And the, the meal was on the Sabbath, their holy day, the Sabbath. Now, when the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with them, uh, it wasn't because they wanted to listen and learn from him. That, that wasn't the reason at all. On the contrary, he was invited because they wanted to catch him in a trap. And they had set a trap at this meal as, as well, as we see in verse 1, at this meal, the people were watching Jesus closely. They weren't looking for his table manners. That's not what it was. They were watching him closely because a man with dropsy, uh, that's swollen arms and swollen legs, was there. And I don't think he just wandered off the street. I, I think he was a plant. I think he was brought in by the Pharisees uh, to be there at that banquet on the Sabbath, to see what Jesus would do. Jesus, in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that they were watching to see what he would do. And so he asked them if the law permitted to heal on the Sabbath or not. Crickets. They didn't answer him. If they said the law permitted to heal on the Sabbath, they would be giving him permission to break the Sabbath regulations. And if they said it didn't give him permission to heal on the Sabbath, they would be revealing how hard-hearted they were toward this man. So they had no answer. So Jesus put human need above Sabbath rules, as, as he always did. And he reached out, he touched the man, and he healed him. Now in verse 5, Jesus is reading the Pharisees' thoughts and so he turned to them and he said, which of you, which of, which of all of you here, 
doesn't work on the Sabbath. If your son or your ox falls into a pit, won't you rush and get him out? They didn't answer that question. Silence. Again, they would have to admit that, of course, they would work on the Sabbath under those circumstances. By the way, since I preached this sermon a lot, <laughs> even recently, and, and, and isn't it curious that this leading Pharisee, this law keeper of all law keepers, this leading Pharisee was hosting a Sabbath meal which required his servants to work on the Sabbath to prepare the meal. So, well, we'll just leave it at that. Verse 7 says that Jesus noticed that all who had come to this meal as they were gathering were trying to get to the places of honor near the head of the table. You can tell they weren't in church service. People usually try to get to the back before anybody comes to the front. Um, but this was a meal of the leading Pharisee in town, and they were, they were uh, invited by this Pharisee to come, and so they came early enough maybe to get a place toward the head of the table. And once again, as Jesus was observing this, he spoke up. And whenever he did this, whenever he would speak up, that the Pharisees got really uncomfortable. Um, usually his words to them weren't complimentary. And so in verse 8, he gave, the, he gave the, the guests who were trying to get the seats toward the head of the table, he, 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 said, don't, he, he talk, talked to them about their seating chart issues. He said, don't sit in the seats of honor. What if someone more distinguished than you has been invited and the host will come and he'll kick you out of your place and, and, and tell you to go toward the foot of the table and then you're going to be all embarrassed and uh, you will have to take a seat at the foot of the table. He said, instead, go first to the foot of the table and when the host arrives, maybe he'll move you up to a higher place of honor and you won't have to be embarrassed. So he was talking to the guests who were coming, perhaps other Pharisees who were coming. And maybe Jesus was thinking about a verse in Proverbs 25, 7. It says, it is better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace. So Jesus was saying that to these Pharisees. He was confronting their pride. He was confronting their self-confidence. He was confronting their, their feeling of self-righteousness. Then he turned to the host. Remember now, he's engaged the man with dropsy. He's engaged the guests, but now he focuses right in on the leading Pharisee, the one who was the host of this banquet. And he spoke directly to him. Now, this, by this time, I think this, this Pharisee probably was wishing he had never, been, uh, never invited Jesus to this meal. <laughs> um, the Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Uh, he had criticized his guests to where they sat, and now he turns his focus, Jesus turns his focus on, on the host. In, in verses 12 through 13, Jesus said to the host that he should not only invite his friends and his rich neighbors to his luncheons or to his banquets, he should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame. Now, he did invite the man with dropsy, but it wasn't out of his generosity. He invited him there as a plant to trick Jesus, and it didn't, the, the, the trap didn't work well. Um, but Jesus said, when you have a meal, make sure you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, something the host would not think of doing. This was uncomfortable table talk. Why? Because Jesus turned the tables on this Pharisee before he knew what hit him. 
Well, when no one knows what to say or doesn't want to say it, there always seems to be someone in the crowd who feels obligated to speak up. Uh, the late Pastor Warren Wiersbe said, Blessed is he who has nothing to say and cannot be convinced to say it. Uh, well, there was one such person at this meal who just felt obligated to speak up, and that's where we enter the parable now in verse 15. This man at the table with Jesus exclaimed, and perhaps rather piously, what a blessing it will be to eat bread in the kingdom of God, assuming that he was worthy to do that. Well, he shared the exclusive attitude of his fellow Pharisees that God's kingdom was reserved for pious, law-keeping Pharisees and Jews. Jesus challenged that attitude by telling another of his table stories while he was sitting at the table for a banquet and once again making the Pharisees the uncomfortable focus of his story. And that's where we're going to enter in now to this story because it's going to expose the sad consequences of false confidence that the Jewish religious establishment revealed. Now, while at a meal hosted by a leading Pharisee, Jesus tells a story about another meal hosted by a master of the banquet, a leading person in this story. And I'm going to point out three invitations, three invitations that this master of the banquet gave. That's why we're calling it the great invitation. The first invitation, uh, the master of the banquet, you can kind of just follow along in the story. We're going to start in verse 16, but we're just going to kind of go along through the story. The master of this great feast sent out many invitations to his peers and associates. Now, a general invitation would have been sent out. Uh, announcing a banquet was coming. Uh, while they knew the day, the banquet was coming on, you know, Thursday, March, the, whatever Thursday, March, uh, that was, might be the second, I think. Um, they knew the day, the hour had not been announced. Generally, that was typical when they say, hey, set aside this day, when the food is ready, we'll let you know. Uh, the initial invitation, though, uh, obliged the guests to respond when the announcement goes out that everything is ready. So it's time to come, don't hesitate. Uh, we've all heard our mothers call out, or maybe you who are mothers have called out, dinner's ready, and nobody comes. You know, they're busy shooting hoops outside, or they're you know, still on their video games or whatever. Back in my day, the, <laughs> it wasn't video games, it was shooting hoops outside or watching Roy Rogers and Dale Evans on TV. Uh, but nobody came when the announcement went out, it's ready. It, but it, it's not too complicated, everything's ready, so just take the first step and come to the meal. And that's what happened when the master sent his servant out to announce everything is ready. Uh, he summoned the invitees. Now it's at this point in the parable um, that the parable takes a surprising twist. He sent out the servant, everything was ready, the host was ready, the table was ready, the food was ready, Everything was ready, however, the invited guests were not ready. Verse 18 says that all, all, is, I think no matter what version you might be using, <laughs> it says all. And for those of you that have been here in past years when I've here, been here, you know my definition of all. All means all, and that's all all means. All the invited guests who had accepted the invitation rejected the summons to come. 
by making excuses why they were going to be no-shows at this great feast. An excuse, by the way, uh, Billy Sunday said, is the uh, skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And they were going to give their skins of reasons stuffed with a lie of why they couldn't come to this banquet that they'd been invited to and been anticipating, and that the master of the banquet and his servants were preparing. But Jesus singled out three examples out of all the ones that probably were given, that why they couldn't come. He singled out three examples of the kinds of excuses and actually insulting refusals that were given for not coming to the banquet. Obviously, there were more than three invited guests. But Jesus said the host invited many guests, remember? But he, Jesus only needed three examples to show the absurdity of the many excuses that were made up. The examples were from the property owner, the plowman, and the newlywed husband. The property owner in verse 18 says, I've just bought a field. And now I must go and inspect it. Please excuse me. I just bought a field. I paid it. I wrote whatever you did back in those days. <laughs> I wrote the check. Now I'm going to go and inspect it. Everyone listening to this parable, all those Pharisees in the room where Jesus sat, every one of them listening to this parable would know that this is a bald-faced lie. No one bought a field in the Middle East without first knowing every square inch of that field before the deal was settled. Proverbs 31.16, about uh, um, this, this ideal woman, <laughs> about this wise woman, she goes to inspect the field and then she buys it. Didn't say that the wise woman buys the field and then goes to inspect it. Who of us? here this morning, would purchase a piece of property, and after closing on that property, would go and inspect it for the very first time. It was a bald-faced lie, this excuse. This guest is affirming that there are more important things in his life at the time than his relationship with the master of the banquet. Well, now we come to the plowman in verse 19, and we're going to look at his excuse. He says, I have just bought five pairs of oxen. Okay, you get that. I have just bought, <laughs> I handed over the money, five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Kenneth Bailey, in his book about the parables, observed that the teams of oxen were sold in the Middle Eastern village really in two ways. Uh, in, in some places, the team is taken to the marketplace. At the edge of the market, there would be a small field uh, and uh, where prospective buyers could go and actually test out the oxen um, to see if they can actually pull together, if they make good teams before they purchase them. Another way, in a smaller village, a farmer uh, owning the oxen maybe would announce that he wants to sell the team and he'll be plowing uh, in this field, in his field at such and such a time, and people can, uh, prospective buyers can arrive and, and watch the team at work. Uh, and, and test drive them themselves if they see that they are fit for purchase. All of this takes place before there is any negotiating of the purchase. Maybe we can put this in a contemporary example. Um, a contemporary example may be a husband who calls his wife, <laughs> maybe kind of like I texted my wife today and said, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be home for dinner. But let's, let's even set this up a little bit more. He, he, he calls his, his wife 
of, and he says, honey, I know it's my birthday, and I know that you have prepared a very special dinner, but I'm just not going to be able to make it home for dinner. And she says, well, why? He says, well, I just signed a check for 10 used cars, which I bought over the phone, sight unseen, and now I'm on my way to the used car lot to see if any of them will start, and if they do, I'm going to test drive them. That's a really good way to ensure that he will never taste another special birthday dinner ever again. That was the ridiculousness of this excuse. I've, I've just purchased five teams of oxen. Now I'm going to go and see if they'll start. <laughs> and if they do, I'll test drive them to see if they're actually any good. Like the first guest's excuse, this one is, is saying that his five teams of oxen are more important than his relationship with the master of the banquet. Now, if the banquet was held in the evening, as they often were in those days, and even in our day, it, it was going to be too dark to inspect the field. Uh, it would be too dark to test five teams of oxen. Just another example of the absurdity of these excuses. But there's a third example that Jesus gives, and that's in verse 20, the, uh, the newlywed husband. I just got married and I cannot come. He didn't even say, please excuse me. He just rudely said, I'm not coming. I just got married. Now, had there been a wedding that day, the banquet host, I mean, in this in the small village, the, everybody would know the village calendar. If there had been a wedding that day, the banquet host would not plan a great affair on the same day as a wedding. Uh, no village can have two major occasions like this going on on the same day. It, 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 didn't, this, didn't this newlywed husband know he was getting married on that day when he got the invitation? The newlywed didn't even say, please, excuse me. He just said, I can't come. Another flimsy excuse and rejection of the host invitation and of the host himself. The people listening to this story would know that. These excuses and the host cell excuses of all who were invited boiled down to not we can't come, it boils down to we don't want to come. You know, a lot of times we say, I can't do this, and maybe we make excuses, I can't do this, maybe it's something within the church, an opportunity we've been offered, um, per perhaps it's um, um, something that we know we need to step out in faith to do as a believer to grow, and we say, I can't do this, many, many times, if you're really honest with yourself, and I'm really honest with myself, many, many, many times when I say I can't do this, it means I won't do this. I won't do this. And that's what they were saying. We don't want to come even though we all accepted the invitation. Now, these excuse makers symbolize the Jewish insiders. We're going to call them insiders. The religious leaders who rejected Jesus, who had great confidence in their own righteousness. The Pharisees, hearing this table talk, knew Jesus was talking directly to them. They were the insiders. They trusted in their own self-righteousness. They trusted in their own good works to be acceptable to God. He owes me his acceptance uh, because I am such a good person and I do all of these works and I keep all the laws. I never break the Sabbath except when I host a meal and ask my servants to cook the meal. Um, but they were depending on their own self-righteousness. And they represent people today, people today who are familiar with Jesus 
And they may be very familiar with Jesus, but they aren't followers of Jesus. Those who think their familiarity with him automatically qualifies them as insiders who will be included in the kingdom of God without, without having to wholeheartedly follow him. Do any of these excuses sound, sound familiar to any of us this morning? I wonder how many there are today who are too busy with occupations or possessions or relationships to really have any room in their lives for Jesus or to have any time to accept his invitation to come to his salvation banquet. I have more important things to do. I have more important uh, people in my life. I have more important relationships in my life, Jesus. Um, Someday, perhaps. Someday, perhaps, but not today. And these uh, self-righteous people, these insiders in the parable, probably were thinking, someday we'll come to your banquet. Fix another one, master of the banquet. Someday we might come. Let me tell you, folks, someday is the eighth day of the week. It never comes. It never comes. Someday, someday we might. The excuses of people today don't differ much, do they? A lot of people are familiar with Jesus. Not everybody is a follower of Jesus. Well, there's a second invitation. I said there were three. Now we're on number two. Okay, so at least know we're getting, we're moving on. (laughs) I have my eye on the clock. I've told you before, you know what it means when a pastor looks at the clock. Absolutely nothing. Um, But today I'm going to try to keep it because I know we have a meal coming. Okay, and we don't want to miss it. We don't want to say, well, my excuse is the preacher went too long. So I have my eye on the clock. The second invitation, when the servant told his master that all the invited guests were not coming, the, the, the story says the master was furious. His anger is understandable. He has been publicly insulted and rejected. But his response beyond that, though, was a response of grace. The banquet must go on. It is not postponed until later. Everything was ready. The host had the table set, but no one to sit at it. The food was exquisitely prepared, but no one to eat it and enjoy it. So he sent his servant into the streets and the alleys of the town to invite the, get this, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The same crowd that appeared in verse 13 when Jesus told the master of the real banquet that he was at, not the story banquet, when he says, you should invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I wonder if the leading Pharisee was listening and heard those very same words in this story crop up. Jesus said those folks should be included in the guest list of the Pharisee who was hosting the meal. This was a remarkable second guest list. Remember, the first guest list were the insiders, all of the law keepers, all of the self-righteous, all those who did good deeds. The second guest list was the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the people out in the streets, perhaps the homeless out in the streets. It was a remarkable second guest list. These folks were not insiders. They were outcasts of the town, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, would not consider themselves, and no one else would consider them worthy to accept such a gracious invitation to sit at the master's table. They were outcasts. 
The poor couldn't purchase a field. The blind couldn't test drive a team of oxen. The crippled and the lame probably would never experience marriage. But they were given a great invitation to a great, by a great host to a great banquet. What grace. These outcasts symbolize the tax collectors, the sinners, and the unclean of Israel who were attracted to and accepted Jesus' invitation to come. The outcasts were invited to come. But there was a third invitation. See, we're on number three. Thing is, you have no idea how long point number three is at this point. But listen up. Because number three, I don't know all of you and I don't know all of your heritages, but I think number three (laughs) applies to all of us. The third invitation, the table was still not full. There was room for more. So the host sent his servant outside of the town, not into the streets and the alley. He sent his servant outside of the town uh, to people traveling the country lanes and, and lingering behind the hedges and around the fields to urge all he found to come so his house would be full. The insiders refused to come. So the outcasts had been invited and they came, but there was still room. And now the outsiders were invited to come. The gracious invitation by the host was so unbelievable to them, they weren't even part of the town. They were just passing through, or maybe they were stopping overnight, or they were lingering by the hedges and by the vineyards to see perhaps if there was maybe something they could glean to eat. The the gracious invitation by the host was so unbelievable, they had to be urged, the story says. They had to be begged to come into the town for the banquet urged them to come. It sounded too good to be true, but it was true. The host is inviting you. Now come. While those in the streets and the alleys of the town symbolize the outcasts of Israel, there's there's a general consensus, there's a general agreement that these outsiders outside of the town represent the Gentiles. That's me. That's you. Unless you are Jewish, (laughs) the outsiders, we were invited to come. There's room at the table for them. You know John 3, 16, don't you? For God so loved the insiders. No, he does. (laughs) For God so loved the outcasts. He does. For God so loved the world. That's us too. That's us. Jesus died for all of us. All of us, the insiders, the outcasts, the outsiders, and it's up to us to accept the invitation to the banquet. The insiders excuse themselves, thinking that their self-righteousness makes them acceptable any time they want to join the banquet. The outcasts and the outsiders excluded themselves initially because they believed their sins were too great for the host to ever accept them. Jesus' final words of the parable in verse 24 just take your eyes down that far, serve as a warning for those who refuse the invitation to come to him and experience the salvation banquet. He said, none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. No matter how familiar with Jesus people may be, if they refuse to be his followers, they won't taste the blessings of salvation and the kingdom of God. 
This is a full course dine-in, sit-down banquet, not a carry-out or a delivery banquet at the guest's appointed time when it was convenient for them. I, I've said many times over the years to our congregation and other congregations, it's never too late until it's too late. Remember the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, show me your favor. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late. There was another thief on the cross for whom it was too late. It's never too late to accept the invitation to the banquet, but you have to accept it because someday it'll be too late. Hebrews 2, 3 says, what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself? Now, aside from the host, the insiders who refused to come, the outcasts, and the outsiders who responded to the invitation, there's one other person in this parable whose significance we haven't considered. There's only one character left in this story we haven't considered. The servant. We haven't talked about the servant. What is his part in the parable? Well, he was sent to go out and seek people to come to the banquet. He was sent to go out and seek the outcasts. He was sent to go out and seek the outsiders. He went wherever and to whomever the host sent him. The master of the banquet sent him. He's not only sent out to go out and seek, he's sent out to go out and tell. Tell what? That they are invited to a great banquet by a great master, that everything is ready, so now come. You, yes, you come, you're invited, you can come. The host wants you to come. The servant is sent to go and seek, and he's sent to go and tell. The servant represents Christians whom Jesus sends, Acts 1-8, to make disciples of all nations. That servant is me. That servant, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is you. We are sent to go and tell, to go and seek, to go and invite others to God's great salvation banquet. Those whom Jesus sends to be his witnesses, telling people everywhere about him. Well, this great invitation parable can also be called the great grace parable. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace into which people enter by receiving the undeserved gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that God saves us by his grace when we believe. It isn't by works. We can't take credit for this. Otherwise, we'd start boasting about it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we do so that we can boast about it. The insiders in the parable represented the Pharisees who were depending on their works to get them into the banquet on their own terms. The outcasts and the outsiders knew that their status and their deeds weren't worthy of an invitation to come to the banquet. But as Romans 6.23 says, the free gift of God is eternal life. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He died on the cross for your sin. And now everything is ready. Have you responded to his invitation to come to him? I hope you have. Uh, if not, Jesus' invitation to come to him is still open. If you cry out to him, he will hear you. The Bible promises that if you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. And he's a promise keeper. If you cry out to him and declare that Jesus is Lord, he's a master of the banquet, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, not might, perhaps, you will be saved. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, each one of us in this room this morning represents one of the personalities in this parable. Some of us may be refusing your invitation to come. Some of us uh, are putting it off, thinking that we can name our own terms. Some of us think we're too unworthy to accept your invitation to come. While, while others of us have said yes to your great invitation to come, we believe in what John 3.16 says, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, Lord, this morning, whoever we are in this parable, in this room this morning, grant us the faith to believe, but grant us the faith to receive, but grant us the courage to go, grant us the courage to tell of the gospel wherever we are sent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.